You're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. Seven ten ESPN Kamenetsky Brothers Saturday morning happy hour. I'm Brian and that's Andy and uh, we are very excited right now to be joined by Jessica Mendoza, ESPN's very own. Uh, also, uh, we the last we saw of you, Jess, you were uh, chasing down balls in the outfield with Ramona Shelburne on that day <laughs> where where the Stanford highlights were being played. That was incredible. What? <laughs> <laughs> It, it was incredible, and the best is, you know, I guess some sort of silver lining in this time when we're showing reruns of old. I mean, I had not seen that game since I played in it, and it was so cool to watch. And I, I mean, I remember that catch like it was yesterday. You know, I remember it like in slow motion. Ramona like hugging me because, like, almost we collectively had robbed that home run. And then the freaking runners attacking from second base. Right. Having this moment, and I kind of throw her off of me. Like, wait, like, we got to get this ball in. Um, well, then yeah. Jess, Jess, too, there's, there was also that clip of you knocking Ramona in from, I want to say, either first or second. Was Momo always this fast? I mean, she is a burner on those paths. Yeah. She was, I don't, I mean, you gotta watch that, cause it was an extra inning game, it, it was in the eighth, and she got on base, she was a, she was a switch hitter, so she would switch to the left side and slap. And she actually got on base because, I mean, she'd basically hit like a ground ball to second base, but they had to like rush the throw and ended up being an error, and she got on, um, she got, I think, bunted to second, and then I, I hit her in, and that was how we won, which was kind of epic. Like, you think about the two of us and our past, how we're still close, and I had actually forgotten. I remember we won. I didn't remember how, which is kind of crazy. I remembered the catch, <laughs> but watching that game again, I was like, I was texting Ramona, and I was like, no, no, look at us, like, tag team, yeah. Like, it's awesome. just, it's so funny, because, like, the look, what it seems, at least from the, the camera angle that ESPN had the look on your face is a look that a lot of us have too it's like uh because ramona it's both very enthusiastic she very there, there's nobody in the media that i think loves doing what they do more than ramona so there's the enthusiasm yeah. but there's also like she has an a she's an a, an a plus sidler like all of a sudden you turn to your left and ramona's just there and like you have that look on your face like <laughs> where did you come from how did you get here and we do that a lot at work where it's like when did you get here no, and that's what was so funny. And like the replay, I, I mean, I think someone had created like a meme of me like throwing her off of me. Too. Like <laughs> she was there, like holding on to me and like celebrating, like yeah, like I think she had to jump for it too. I had no idea. You're dead on. I had no idea she was even there. Like I was like radar locked in on this freaking ball, and I was going to catch it. And all of a sudden, I caught it, and there's Momo just hey. <laughs> <laughs> baby Bajoran like hooked onto my like my my front side. I was like, oh hi, like yeah. And then threw her if that was, if she, if there was a sitcom about her, it would be called Hey, there's Momo. Um, but all right. So anyway, we got we have to turn to the Dodgers with you here for a second. Um, I I am a little concerned that at the very least a sixty game season 
kind of opens the door to a lot of weirdness um, and eats into some of the Dodgers, uh, the the advantages that their talent would give them and their depth would give them. Andy thinks it, it probably helps them a, a lot more. In, I just in think it's all relevant season. at the end of the day. Right. Um, explain why Andy's wrong. <laughs> well, I think I think that the the thing with teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the kind of front runners coming into a regular one sixty two game season is that depth, you know, gives them an advantage over the course of a longer season. And what you're going to see now is just the fact that there's there's teams that like the Padres, right? Like I, they were never really on my radar as being a playoff contending team quite yet. This is a young team that has you know a lot of power arms in the bullpen that they're going to be able to mix and match now with a 30 game a 30 team roster i mean think about what that adds that um you know you're able to have this ability to you know get guys in there um in a way that you wouldn't have had before so i think with the dodgers it's like it hurts them not so much that they they aren't going to be as good they're still going to have the freaking ridiculous lineup in the depth that they have but now other teams are going to be able to sneak in there i feel like because they don't need to have depth I mean, I think people are so worried about, like, are these guys going to get hurt? Um, obviously, you have COVID, and that's a completely different story. But as far as injuries, like, yeah, that's going to happen, but you don't need the longevity. You don't need to conserve the way you would and the way the Dodgers had mastered that throughout the course of 162 games. What do you think is going to be the biggest adjustment for the Dodgers or for all of these teams in terms of, you know, navigating this shortened season? Because, I mean, you know, this athletes are real creatures of habits and they, and they're used to being paced for, you know, 162 games. Yeah, I think it's going to be twofold. One is you're not going to be playing as many teams. I mean, I don't think people realize how not boring because that's not the right word. They're going to be so excited to play all of that, but we're going to get a month and a half, two months in where the season's almost like coming to an end, but, and you're going to be, have played literally the same nine teams over and over and over again. And just wrap your mind around that. I know there's divisions you get that you're playing teams, but over 162 games, I mean, you're even interleague games, you're playing everybody in the national league, but all of a sudden you're, you're seeing the same dang picture, like the, you know, and just the repetition. And then secondly, I think the biggest thing, too, is going to be how old it's going to get. Like, you think about post-games and so many guys, right? Part of their routines to go have, you know, go get, grab a bite to eat with some friends post-game, you know, kind of whatever, the social life that comes with being a Major League Baseball player. And, yeah, there's the ones that want to go back to their room and sleep, but they're the ones that their routine is really going to be thrown off by the fact that they have to take a to-go dinner, and go straight back to their room is one option. Room service is the second option. Or a, 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 a room they'll, they'll have back at the hotel that they only the team can be able to eat at. I think some guys, that's going to get old after a couple of months, and you're going to see whether they're breaking the rules or just like, uncle, like, this is going to be really tough for me to, to handle. Because for a lot of ball players, that's kind of how they live. Uh, talking to Jessica Mendoza, ESPN uh, broadcaster, and – that that part to me is kind of we we saw Ryan Zimmerman this week I believe it was kind of expressing some concerns about even going to play he's got a, a lot of family concerns about uh, health and what he might be bringing back and and how he'd have to quarantine basically wouldn't be able to see his mom for like months if he goes and he plays how many players do you think actually will back out of this before uh, spring training actually begins. I, you know, I, I've been thinking about the same thing. And 
I I don't know. Like I I really feel like it's it's like a lot of this. It's so unknown because I started to think about the different personalities, the ones that are conservative. And you think about even Mike Trout, whose wife is due to have their first child in August, and with some of these rules and the access that you have to even family and a newborn baby, especially when it's your first, like the worries and the concerns and. But then there's the overall pressure of, like, do you want to be the one that stands apart from the union and says, I'm not going to do this? And then, you know, if you get a big name, once one big name says, I, this isn't worth my health, don't you think that the pressure from all so many other players with their families and saying, okay, now why are you doing this? If, let's say, for example, Justin Verlander has said, and I'm just hypothetical, I, I'm not going to, it's not worth my health. You know, I 60 game season. No, thank you. I'm, I'm really genuinely concerned. That influence that then will trickle down, but it just takes one, one big name mm-hmm. player. I don't know if it happens before spring training. I feel like most guys might go and feel it out. My concern is once the positive tests start coming in, because you know that, I mean, there's zero chance that there won't be. We've already seen positive tests, but now that everyone's officially going to be together, players, are now going to come testing positive. What happens then? That's when you're like, mm-hmm. uh, dude, I was just sitting next to you for an entire game sharing sunflower seeds with you, and now you're positive? Like, this is real. <laughs> well, they, they're not going to be sharing sunflower seeds this year, <laughs> unfortunately, with uh, all the <laughs> all the different protocols. This this will not be a year of uh, sharing sunflower seeds. Bad just. For, it's a bad spitting year overall. You're just not allowed to spit. It's a very spitting no. game. They're taking that away. They're, they are. With, think of the spitters. It's, it's weird, though, like just the idea of all the different ritualistic parts of baseball that these players aren't gonna, going to be a part of, though. But what I think is really interesting, Jess, is they put out uh, – ESPN put out a poll, and fans, by and large – are really excited to see this. Like, even though it's just 60 games, and even though I think it's going to take a little bit after the moment to figure out what to even make of this season, fans are really excited. Have, have you gotten any sense in terms of, like, how the players actually feel about this? Even beyond just COVID concerns, just the idea of it's a 60-game season. I think players, especially you know, like the Bryce Harper's of the world. And he's been pretty public about just like, oh my gosh, like, let's try this. Let's do this. Let's, can we, um, you know, try having like, you know, postseason where they're all-star game in the home run derby or what is like right in the middle. I mean, he's put out there like all, I mean, he's like a little kid. that's all of a sudden been given a new toy. And I think, you know, I, I don't know the, the majority of players, but I do think the ones that have wanted to see some change, wanted to see some just growth as far as, doing things differently. Um, mm-hmm. that, that to me is what makes this 60 game season. I mean, I'm, I'm excited because, you know, I cover the game and as much as I, you know, I love the, the grind of the season and that's what makes it the season. There's something so special about what we're seeing and the uniqueness of, you know, yes, 60 games, but also just what that means as far as strategy. Like, nobody knows. Like teams are going to have to figure it out. And as a fan, like you're locked in because in every inning there's something that matters more than it's ever mattered before. And I do believe teams are going to try different things and do different stuff than they've never done before. And that's refreshing for a game be, that over 100 years hasn't changed a whole lot. 
Yeah, it'll, it, I, I'm, I'm excited, probably more excited for a short season than baseball wants me to be. I think all seasons might want to be this short, uh, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. We know everybody's working from home. Everybody's squeezing stuff in. Um, uh, so, so, and you're up late doing all the, the, the broadcasts and stuff anyway. So, uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those KBO games have been a good indicator, to be honest, like what they've done over there. And like when you talk about the spitting stuff, like they, there's no like vigilant officer that's like coming after people. I mean, <laughs> it's going to happen, right? And it's almost like, oh, shoot, I just, you know, spitting out. I gave someone a high five, you know, there's not like a, and so I'm interested to see like how, that's what I'm seeing in South Korea is a lot of the rules that were in place are now starting to fall back just in the moment, right? Right. I think you get a verbal warning, then a written warning. And then at that yeah. point, you know, your file starts building up. Well, but the problem is you can't <laughs> tackle. It's not like if somebody gives somebody a high five, like in social distancing, like you can't have somebody come by and like tackle them or something that defeats the purpose. Yeah, but you'll see it happen. Like I'm guaranteed. Yeah. This, like you're going to have a huge moment. Someone's going to make a huge play. No one's going to be thinking about, and then uh, they're going to jump on their back or they're going to, you know, come. That's what I'm seeing in the KBO in South Korea is just in these huge moments. Um, people are doing things that they're not supposed to. And like, there hasn't really been a whole lot of consequence. They also ha- haven't had a positive test. So I think that's. Yeah. Probably I, uh, that probably makes it in Korea's handling things broadly a little better than, than we are. Um, but anyway, um, thank you again for, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, stay safe, be, and, uh, enjoy baseball. It's coming. Thank back. you. Happy Saturday, guys. Thanks. Uh, Jessica Mendoza, not just great for, uh, uh, breaking down Andy, what's coming in the baseball season, but also sharing amazing memories of Ramona Shelburne. We could have honestly done this entire segment just about Momo. I mean, yeah, to be perfectly I, I actually, honest. I, I was telling, um, uh, Bergman the other day when, when Ramona and I were, were sitting in for Sedano that you should do every, every time Ramona hosts a show, you should do a segment called context free Ramona where you gather up all the things that she said over the course of a show and play them at the end. And I think that would be the best radio thing ever. Um, yeah. Right, so we'll break down a little bit. 877 ESPN. Call and tell us what you think about, uh, what Jessica had to say about the Dodgers, about baseball. Um, so we'll break some of that down and get you ready for Howard Beck coming up at 1030 as we go back to the NBA. Um, it's the Saturday morning happy hour, 710. You're listening to the Saturday morning happy hour with the Cam Brothers. It was between the brothers, King. It's the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. All right, so we're about 10 minutes away from Howard Beck joining the Saturday morning happy hour. Of course, you can catch... The late night happy hour every weeknight from 10 to 11 on ESPNLosAngeles.com. Go to the Twitter feed. Go to the Periscope feed. Uh, Andy, I, we are scheduled at least to have Byron Scott on Monday, which should be a lot of fun. So, Fingers crossed, uh, man. That And we got some stuff we want to talk about with Byron, specifically an interview that Michael Thompson did in the late 80s with uh, uh, Roy Firestone that – to say the least, is odd. The Byron did. <laughs> well, no, Byron but both did. of them right. did. Because remember... Um, well, Byron, Byron's showing up on Roy Firestone in a tank top. Yes. Yes. But, but it all began with the interview. You are correct. Uh, Byron's on with Roy Firestone as well. But it all began with Michael's interview with Roy Firestone. Um, 
Believe it or not, Michael was a weirdo back in the 80s, too. It's not just now. Yep, that is awesome. I, mean, I mentioned to Jessica Mendoza, we're all doing these things from home. I just got a picture from my wife uh, from the other room. The baby is currently riding around wearing her sunglasses uh, on her little caterpillar toy with a bottle of vanilla extract. So she is drinking and driving, Andy. Those things have vanilla extract has alcohol in it. Um, the pandemic is getting to all of us, clearly. I'm just saying it's pretty selfish of her, man. Like, yeah. call don't, an, don't drink and drive, baby. Call an Uber bug or something. But, like, that's that's wrong. That's <laughs> yeah. just straight up wrong of her. So I, I, I'm i a little concerned. Like, if I'm baseball, I'd probably be a little concerned that people like me and I know people like you are going to lean a little too much into this idea of a ga- of a baseball season that starts basically where all the games matter and is over in, like, three months like this is kind of perfect i've been saying this for a few months brian as baseball has been you know trying and failing to get its act together and you know we've seen owners that look like all things considered they'd prefer as few games as possible if not canceling the season entirely be careful what you wish for that's all i'm going to say about a 60 game season because fans may decide all right 60 is a little too short but not by many games because the urgency and, that's going to be there exactly. this season that is not typically there for the overwhelming majority of it, again, be careful what you wish for, baseball, because if fans really like this and all of a sudden you got to figure out what to do with the issue of hearing, you know what, we could use, we prefer 90 fewer games. Like that's actually our right, preference that, now. Nobody, nobody inside the game, the players won't go for it, the owners won't, the revenue issues with that unless you're going to charge people seven thousand dollars to get into a game like you're going to run into problems there but the 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 thing about it is like and it's not just you know that that every game matters it's the it's the idea that a team like the padres like you know if you're the orioles and you're just hot garbage you're still you're not going to win a 60 game season anyway but if you're marginal where you don't have the endurance to go all the way over 162, but you might have enough depth with a little bit of luck, Andy, that you can get through a hundred games. I'm like, telling this you, this is for you. Like the Pirates, I, I, the the Brewers, the Reds, the Padres, the Rockies, all of these teams where you can okay, we can paper over our starting pitching disadvantage by having a great bullpen, mixing and that. Like there are ways to make it well, work for a hundred games or 120 that don't work for 162. Right. I mean, this is how you get casual fans in all these different cities who have a team that they know is, you know, 500 at best in a typical season to actually engage over the course of 80 games, 100 games, something like that. But again, the problem with this working for baseball is it might work too well. And, you know, (laughs) there was there was a period where baseball had the opportunity if they had listened to the players to go over a hundred games or maybe at a hundred, you know, maybe a hundred on the nose, something like that. All I can say is if you're baseball, be careful what you wish for, because I happen to think, you know, and I'm somebody who likes baseball, but I'm not a diehard. And also just as somebody with, you know, a lot of different jobs and you've got kids, you know, you've got all sorts of stuff. You, there's only so many games you can watch to begin with. So it becomes that much more easy to feel disengaged from the season. Yep. All of a sudden, Absolutely. you feel like you have the opportunity to consume the whole thing. Again, 
Be careful what you wish for, baseball. It will be interesting to find out what the lasting impacts of it won't be a 60. They won't do a 60 game season going forward, but what changes in the game, whether it's how teams construct their starting staffs, there probably will be teams that maybe functionally try to get away with just running a 15 man or 12 man, 13 man pitching staff and getting a running, doing away with that starter versus reliever designation. There are going to be teams that change the way they do player like, we're going to see some innovations come out of this season that will have lasting impacts that go beyond it. And that's going to be one of the more fascinating things to watch. Andy, one of the more fascinating things to listen to, Howard Beck from Bleacher yep. Report, the great Howard Beck basketball writer, uh, once uh, a guy who worked, of course, locally. He will be next. He'll tell us what the Lakers are going to do when they get to Orlando, what the NBA is going to do when it gets to Orlando. Howard Beck, Bleacher Report, next Kamenetsky Brothers, 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. Andy... The return of the NBA means also the return of the three best words in basketball. What up, Beck? Howard Beck from Bleacher Report joins us right now talking NBA. Um, I've seen pictures of you, uh, Howard, during the pandemic, and you look like somebody who needs basketball to restart. How are you holding up? Like It seems like it's wearing on you a little bit. <laughs> um, thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm just concerned. I'm sorry that came off as more callous than I meant. No, it's all right. No, I mean like it's uh, there's some combination of you know cabin fever, lack of enough sun, uh, lack of haircut for three and a half months. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, my lockdown beard, which I finally got sick of and got rid of, but my hair is still a disaster. Um, it's, it's like I've been. Uh, I was saying to someone the other day, it's like. Uh, uh, Saul Berenson from Homeland when he gets kidnapped, and <laughs> they finally right. they finally find him after like four months in Pakistan, you know, in some little hole, and uh, just hair everywhere. That's that's where I'm at. Yeah, I was thinking I had seen the beard, and that's sort of what I was basing this on, as if you had been hunting and killing all the food your family has been eating for the last few weeks. I, I'm I was not denying I was... it. It's like neither <laughs> confirming nor denying. <laughs> Gone into New York survivalist mode. Squirrels, pigeons, you know, <laughs> rats, <laughs> Every, everything you need. Nice. It's, it's all right there. Um, so, all right. So oh, go ahead, Andy. I, I was going to say, we got a lot of news yesterday from the NBA. Before we get into the Lakers schedule, we, we got a lot of news from the NBA. Uh, Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts, Chris Paul did a conference call that based on Twitter, uh, it seemed like you were on that call. What were your biggest yep. takeaways in terms of uh, them just clarifying and illuminating what we're about to step into? Well, I mean, listen, on, on the on the biggest issues, safety, health, the actual execution of, of this whole plan to restart the season in a pseudo-bubble on the Disney campus, I would say that, you know, there was just kind of a, a, a an overall sense of optimism that, you know, no matter what the numbers may say, in terms of uh, positive cases, 
spiking in the surrounding area that they're about to go into. The NBA, the union, the players, they all feel fairly confident about this. It's kind of gung-ho. And no matter how many different ways we on that call, you know, the reporters on that call asked about what it would take or what threshold would be too much, you know, what would it take to, to decide maybe this is a bad idea, there were no answers. Um, I, they're determined to go through with this. Now, I don't think it's the, they're determined to go through with this at all costs. Clearly, there's a breaking point somewhere. I don't know what that breaking point might be. Um, but I would say that, you know, and, and, and look, they didn't downplay it. Adam Silver didn't downplay it, that the numbers in Orlando, uh, in Orange County surrounding area, he didn't downplay it, that, that those numbers are alarming. They are. Um, but, there, you know, as, as, as he noted, too, there are no, you know, risk-free options as long as you're going to try to, to, to start the season again. And they're comfortable with the setup that they've created. Um, the medical experts that they've been in consultation with, as well, as well as a lot of independent medical experts who have been quoted in various media outlets over the last couple of weeks, have all said, yeah, this is sound. This is a sound plan. It won't be perfect because there is no perfect. And, you know, there's always going to be some risk of the virus getting in. But everybody seems comfortable with what they're doing. Uh, we're talking to Howard Beck from Bleacher Report. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen players withdraw Davis Bertans because he just he's worried about the injury risk and he's going to be a free agent. Trevor Ariza has, uh, you know, a family, a custody issue that he's uh, attending to. And Avery Bradley because he's worried about his, uh, his six-year-old son who has uh, uh, lung issues. Have you seen or heard any indication that players without those sort of other external factors might just want to pass because they're concerned about themselves or just sort of concerned about the setup generally from a medical standpoint? Uh, No one that I know of. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they've got until July 1st to set the rosters. I would guess that we'll see a few more people pull out between now and then. Um, Listen, if I were an older coach, not just the obvious ones, D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry, Popovich, but assistant coaches, if you're over even 60, I, I, don't, I don't think I would go. Um, I, 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 so I, it wouldn't be surprised if, if some personnel who are older might withdraw. Um, but even for players, I mean, listen, there's a lot we still don't know about this virus. There's been, you know, some indication of long-term effects, people who recover from the main symptoms but are still struggling with their, uh, their breathing um, their lung capacity for, for weeks afterward. Uh, we just don't, there's a lot we don't know. And I, I think that, you know, it, it would be perfectly reasonable if some guys without any of those other kinds of issues that Avery Bradley or Trevor Reese or Davis Bertans had, if some guys just decided, you know what, it's just not worth the risk. I feel safer at home. And, and I know the, the league's basic premise is, hey, these guys will be safer in the campus that we've set up than they would be on their own. I'm not completely convinced of that because you can control your own home environment. You don't have to go out. You don't have to see other people. Um, so I think they are, in fact, safer in their home market as long as they're behaving in a way that – or conducting their days in a way that doesn't expose them to a lot of other people. But the second you go into the MBA's campus, now you've got Disney employees who are going to be coming and going and who are not going to be tested and who are, are you know, you, you don't know what they may be bringing in. You probably won't have any encounters with them. The idea is that you won't. But – who knows? 
Talking with Howard Beck of Bleacher Report, covers all things for NBA. He is also the host of the Full 48 podcast, which I'm a subscriber, and y'all ought to be too, because it's really good. In particular, the episode you just did with uh, Mark Spears from The Undefeated, I- I'd say was critically acclaimed. So congrats on that one, uh, Howard. It's, it's, it's a good you. episode. Um, Thank you. The you, you were just mentioning about how these players, you know, they're in control of their own lives and, you know, outside of the bubble as well and the choices that they make. And I mentioned that because we just got back the results of initial um, COVID testing among NBA players. And it was 16 players out of 300 or so that were tested, uh, tested positive. Obviously, it's all relative in terms of what good news means, because you're talking about players having to deal with this virus. But just in pragmatically speaking, this feels to me like a pretty good start. Do you agree with that? I don't know how to read that exactly. I mean, Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts, who's, you know, executive director of the Players Association, both of them said that they were not surprised by 16 of 302, about 5%. That that was about in line with what they anticipated, that they were pleased that it wasn't higher. And that the good news is nobody, none of those 16 had severe symptoms. So that's all, those are all good things. But it also means that the, the 16 right. players, you know, put themselves in a position where they got it. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions and I'm not saying it meant automatically that they were irresponsible, but they might have been. I, you know, like, I, I, you know if, you're, if you're really careful about social distancing and mask wearing, hand washing, not going out, not socializing, not being in indoor spaces with a lot of people, then you're probably avoiding it. And 16 guys got it. Um, so I don't know, you know, it's impossible to know how to interpret that. We don't know exactly what those guys did. Right. Um, and, and, you know, look, that they've caught it now, great, that they'll be, you know, they'll be quarantined now and they'll be fine by the time they go, great. You still have all the other guys who are going in there, who, you know, to, to Orlando that you'll have to, to be concerned with. We still don't know whether or not it confers immunity or how long that immunity lasts. Um, I, I do think that a, a major point of emphasis for the league and the union will be, has to be, guys, we know there's going to be temptation to leave the campus. We know there's going to be temptation to go visit friends or people you know in, in town or to go to the club or whatever might be open in Orlando. But trying to keep guys on that campus where they're not going to expose themselves, I think – maybe a bit of a challenge because first few days, fine, a week, two, three, four weeks, at some point you're going to go stir crazy. You're going to want to get out of there and there's going to be temptation to do so. And, you know, uh, you would think that given the gravity of this pandemic, that guys will, will, you know, decide not to, to give in to temptation there, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, talking, talking to Howard back from Bleach Report and the full 48 podcast. Um, so now that the schedule is out, we know the Lakers are, are almost surely going to end as the number one seed. We know that the Bucks are almost surely going to end as the number one seed. What do you, what do you think are the biggest things that are going to come out of these eight regular season games, um, that these 22 teams are going to play? Terrible basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're, we're, we're going to see a glorified, exhibition season that's what we're going to see and possibly worse than an exhibition season because at least during a normal exhibition season in early october or mid-october you've got players who spent the off season playing pickup staying more or less in shape um 
feeling. Being able to shoot. I mean, I don't think fans understand or appreciate just how many of players probably had no access even to a basket to shoot at for the last several months, um, much less gyms and trainers and everything else. Now, there's a certain amount that guys were able to do on their own, but you're going to throw these guys back together, do a couple of weeks of a, of a, of a reconvened kind of training camp, and even if you're in shape, and you, you know, there's, there's a difference between shape and basketball shape, and even if you're all individually in basketball shape, we always talk about chemistry, rhythm, how a team is fitting together. All this stuff just got thrown out the window because they haven't played for three and a half, four months together, and you have to reestablish that. And some teams are more reliant on chemistry than others. So a scout was mentioning this to me yesterday. I thought it was a really astute point, which is the, excuse me, the Bucks in particular are, are really a rhythm team. Everything revolves around Giannis getting into spaces, collapsing a defense, and hitting open teammates. And there's not a lot of creators on that team. It's pretty much Giannis and a bunch of guys waiting for a shot. And so his point was he thinks that, that might, the layoff might hurt them more. And we're all going to start guessing on who, which teams benefit, hurt, how long it's going to take guys to get back up to speed. But he thinks that the Bucks might take longer. I look at a team like the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis, who both can do a lot with the ball in their hands and are just such supreme talents that, that, uh, and, and, and from a variety of places on the floor – that maybe it won't take that long for them to get into or to at least play decent basketball, but not necessarily quality rhythm basketball with their teammates. Like for everybody, that's going to take time. The chemistry is going to take time to reestablish. And so those eight games for every team, I don't think are going to be real pretty. Uh, Talking with Howard Beck from Bleacher Report, host of the Full 48 podcast. Uh, Last question for you. Brian and I were talking before. The Lakers, their, their eight games is a pretty tough slate which we actually think is really beneficial for them in terms of actually getting something out of, as you said, these games that likely could be pretty crappy. Do you agree with that in terms of just utility and the benefit? Yeah, I mean, look, there's certainly an argument to be made that that the better the competition, the sharper you'll be. And some of these are are teams that you're going to be potentially facing in the playoffs. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's something to be said for that. Um I, I guess you could spin it the other way and say, well, if you if you had some of the the you know bottom dwellers, you can tune yourself up better because you can concentrate just on you. You know, you hear it, even in the regular season, you hear great teams kind of arrogantly say this all the time. Well, we're not worried about them; we're just worried about us. We're trying to work on our stuff, and you can afford to do that when you're playing, you know, maybe the Wizards or the Phoenix Suns or the Kings. And so, I, I guess you could make that argument too. But yeah, I think I'd lean the other way. I think I'd lean toward. You're trying to get into playoff mode as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because you're going from what I've called a glorified exhibition season to playoffs within two weeks. And right. yeah, I, I would say maybe you're better off trying to get to a playoff level quickly. Um, he is the great Howard back from Bleacher Report, the host of the Full 48 podcast, which you really should, uh, as Andy mentioned, subscribe to because he pulls in some really good guests, um, just on the, on the strength of the Howard Beck brand. So, um, <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, man. We hope we, we appreciate it. We hope everything is going well with you and your family and look forward to uh, getting some basketball back. No, absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, always fun talking to you. Good luck with everything on your end, too. And, uh, yeah, uh, maybe four, four and a half weeks or so here we'll actually have basketball to talk about. Should be interesting. Yeah, we'll yeah we're looking forward to it, man. Thank you. Crossed. Take care. All right, so Howard back, and it's – it's interesting, Andy, to hear him break down how NBA players feel about 
the 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 ability of the league to execute this and how that contrasts with some of what we're hearing out of baseball um I'm feeling better about it now, and we'll, we can kind of break that down a little bit uh, next. How optimistic should we be feeling about basketball and being able to get through this tournament? Because I feel better now than I did 15 minutes ago. We'll do that next. Kamenetsky Brothers, Saturday morning happy hour, 710 ESPN. This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. With the Cambros. All right, so um, I have I went I went to we were, like I mentioned Andy we we're doing the shows from home like yeah like everybody else's we're, we're we're all working from home and so during the break I went and ran really quickly to use the bathroom and I was reminded that I have I have two sons the the third kid is still in diapers so she doesn't count for this I have one son who always always lifts the toilet seat but never flushes. I have another son who never lifts the toilet seat, but always flushes. Which is the bigger parenting failure? Like, where did I go right? Where did I go wrong? Which kid am I raising right? Which kid am I raising wrong? Because I've clearly made mistakes with both. Oh, actually, I, I think it's pretty obvious. The, the The parenting mistake is the one that never lifts the seat, but always flushes because he's both inconsiderate and environmentally unfriendly. Like that kid, like that kid is an absolute failure. And I think I know which one it is. (laughs) No, actually you have it backwards. Hmm. Never flushes is the one that you think never lifts the seat. (laughs) Okay. All right. Because remember it's, and I, we can talk, they're not listening. Ethan, Ethan is, is, remember is the boy who I, when he was three or four years old or whatever it was, burst out of the bathroom one time when I was, when I was, uh, when he was in there and I said, Hey, did you flush? He said, I'm not going to worry about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I remember so, that. I remember that. Right. So the, the, the warning signs were there early. Ne- all fastidious about lifting the seat. I, I agree okay. with you because that is more considerate. Well, then of other people, you need to, you're right. You need to tell Ben, except when he poops, except then you need to poops. tell Ben, get it together. Uh, your oldest, yeah. because again, both inconsiderate and not thinking about Mother Earth. It's kind of a disaster, man. Yeah, I mean, there have been a couple. That you got to look real closely at that seat before you you <laughs> sit down. <laughs> That's for sure. At least teach him if it's yellow, let it mellow. I mean, come on, right? If he's going to be rude, down. No, I agree. Yeah. Do people still use that expression? That seems I believe very, so. Like mid seventies, early eighties. I believe they do. Very good. Um, all right, so uh, Howard Beck was on. And was talking about the, the confidence that the NBA has in, in being able to do this. And it's funny because, you know, you mentioned, Andy, the positive test rate, which is around 5% for the NBA players that they tested, which is right at that line that health officials look for um, to stop community spread. Like if you're under 5%, you're generally seen it in good shape. Over that starts to get worrisome. So not a bad place to begin. And they seem to think that they can be kind of independent of whatever is going on in Florida. And I kind of believe them. I, I feel like when you look at this plan, to some degree, it is a little bit independent of of what's happening if they can get everybody to follow the protocols. Look, it, this is it's not exactly the same because, like, in these type of movies, things get sealed off. 
But, you know, like War Games, for example, there's that scene where they're trying to get everybody into that sealed uh, sealed part of that government base. And, like, they're, hurry, 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 as the siren's going off. And the goal is just to get everybody inside there where they can, where they're, they have access to all the controls and they're closed off because they're afraid of a nuclear war threat. The goal right now for the NBA is they just want to get everybody inside that bubble as whole as possible. And in this particular way, whole as possible is being defined as as few cases of COVID as possible. Then once that happens, it's not completely sealed off like the scene in war games, but it is relatively sealed off and definitely controllable. And I think I think they feel like they can avoid, you know, Florida being Florida if they can just get inside Disney World again, relatively whole. That's the goal. Yet another example, by the way, of just how Florida is the worst real estate in America. Um, But it's just the. Get it together, Florida. But the, 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 the example even too that Jessica Mendoza used earlier, you know, when we talked to her at, at, at 10 o'clock about how the Korean baseball league has not had any COVID cases this year. They haven't had to stop. They haven't had to quarantine anyone. They because, and granted, Korea has done things very differently, but part of what they've done is been very restrictive. And very prescriptive with how much they test, how much they contact trace and all of these things. And to some degree, the NBA is kind of creating a little mini Korea or a little yeah. mini like Singapore or whatever. Some of these other countries that have done well. And it's yep. it's the rest of the country wouldn't live under these, as we're seeing, won't live under these con- circumstances. But if you can make it work for three and a half months with the NBA, I actually am far more optimistic the more I read, the more I learn that, yeah, it is possible to do this. I totally get why players would want to pass it up. Nobody should give Avery Bradley any grief for the choice that he's making to, you know, to take all caution to make sure his son, son stays safe. But for the players who want to go, I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a, it's a crazy or irresponsible or, you know, it's all about the money. Then these guys are going to die. Like, no, I, I actually think it, it's pretty reasonable. Look, we're doing this unnecessarily. Like it's not necessary to start the NBA again. But Correct. if you're going to be doing it, if you're if you've made the decision that you're going to try to start up a sports league again, I honestly feel and I felt for a while that the NBA is doing this about as reasonably responsible and reasonably mindful of all the people involved as you yep. can be. I mean, it's not going to be fun for the players involved, but fun unfortunately is not a menu item on this. Like first, first and foremost is effective, and you it's, can't have it I both think, ways. If you're the right, I think sure. it's going to be, or at least has the potential to be, fairly effective. Um, all right, so that's it for us today. Just want to remind people: late night happy hour every night, uh, Monday through Friday, ten o'clock ESPN LA on the Twitter feed and on the Periscope feed. We'll have Byron Scott uh, scheduling for Monday. Ben Lyons on Wednesday, uh, and we'll be back next week for more Saturday morning happy hour on seven ten ESPN.